Welcome, friends, back to another episode of Mind Games with Garen Emig on the Sellout Crowd Network. I'm Garen Emig, the host of the show, columnist for Sellout Crowd. I've got a friend of mine as my special guest this week. You know him, you love him. Sooners really love him. Eli Letterman covering the OU beat for Sellout Crowd is going to join me. Very happy to have him back in Mind Games. Happy to pick his brain again. It's been a while. I've been on his show quite a bit. It's about time he uh, he came back into my world and we hashed out some things related to OU football. We're going to do that. But first, allow me to thank our sponsors for Mind Games. They do uh, some nice things to help us here on this program and others in the Sellout Crowd Network. They include NextGen Roofing, FireLakeJobs.com, 988 and Oklahoma's Mental Health Lifeline, MidFirst Bank, Two Fellows Movers, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, and of course, our Oklahoma Ford dealers, drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. Eli, my old friend, it's good to see you again on, uh, on my program. Thank you for having me back, and I know I, I've owed you, I'm, I'm, my debt on show appearances. You're gonna get me whenever you need me after football season. You're gonna get like six straight episodes, six straight episodes with me because I owe you uh, a whole lot of appearances. Personal testimony: two fellows movers. Uh, when I made my move from Stillwater to OKC a couple years ago, jumping from the OSU beat to the OU beat, two mm-hmm. fellows got me there, and uh, so I can stand by them and I can stand by Mind Games. I'm thrilled to be back. All right, did you did you meet the two fellas, Eli? Here was the thing about it. More than two fellas. Ah. Yeah, it's like when you go into a five guys and you start <laughs> counting and there's way more than five guys in there. One guy for the patty, one guy for the, the, the tomato, right? Mm-hmm. At least one guy for the fries. That's still the, That's, still the highlight. Still mm-hmm. the highlight of any five guys experience, right? Is the, uh, the, the, the sack mm-hmm. of fries that comes with the burger, correct? You need two fellas just to carry a bag of those fries. <laughs> This is why we have Eli back on the show for things like <laughs> what just happened, podcast magic. Every week on the Letterman Jacket, if you haven't tuned in, what are you doing with your life? Um, if you haven't caught this uh, this show, no big deal. Watch this episode; you'll you'll be hooked. I promise. Um, we are going to talk about the Sooners, maybe a little bit about even their football game at BYU this weekend. Might branch off beyond Norman, talk about some other stuff that's got our attention. Uh, but the last time. Uh, I had you, my friend, on the show. It was uh, it was a little shop talk. I like the idea because dude, I didn't title the episode Mind Games because I thought it was cute and would get ratings. I really do want us to think about some things when it comes to sports, specifically around here this time of year, Oklahoma football. And I brought you back onto the show to sort of give listeners, viewers, an opportunity to to think about things beyond you know Dylan Gabriel's breaking into the top ten in passing yardage or Gavin Sawchuck's back-to-back 100-yard games, or whether you know people are, are really hurt, or, or how serious is their injury, and that that kind of thing. Um, I want listeners and viewers to, to to sort of know the people in the program, and that isn't there's there's no better resource in doing that, uh, I think, than the beat writers who cover the team. You and your colleagues on the beat are around that program a lot more than I am, a lot more than. My friends Barry Trammell and Jenny Carlson are, Todd Lisenby and Sam Mays, podcasters on the Sellout Network. We all talk about Oklahoma football. We all go to the games. In the case of the three columnists, we certainly interview these guys and these coaches, but not like you do as a beat writer. And therefore, we don't have 
the understanding of, of what makes some of these guys tick as you do. And so I thought, um, for starters, I would ask who you've enjoyed getting a chance to talk to or meet or get to know or, or crack a joke with, shed a tear with. I doubt that's happened, but maybe it has. Tell, tell us a little bit about some of these guys uh, behind the, the, you know, the names and numbers that, that fans at Owen Field see. Well, how about this? At the end of the season, we give out like a media cooperation award, right? The good guy award. I think past winners include Braden Willis. Uh, some of this precedes my time on the beat, but uh, let's, let's I'll frame it with the top five guys, the top five candidates for that award this okay. year. Uh, I think that can give a good sampling of, of, of who we're talking about. Um, and this is in no particular order, I guess, but you know, Walter Rouse, the, the Stanford transfer was certainly the guy who was immediately after getting here kind of captured the attention of us reporters because of the way he spoke and how open he was mature, intelligent, all of that. And that's remained. I mean, I've really, I've, I've written some really fascinating things about Walter and learned about his family, his background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll take you to late night uh, Saturday after the West Virginia win. Walter Rouse finishes up his media duties, goes 15 minutes talking. And then he was just standing around and I'd seen he had some family in town. So I just mentioned it. Somehow, two minutes later, we were talking about economy plus seating on American Airlines flights and what it takes <laughs> to be an offensive lineman flying. because. Believe it or not, flying experiences for me, five foot eight, one hundred and fifty some odd pounds, is different for Walter Rouse, six foot four, right. uh, three hundred and twenty five pounds. So we got all into that, and we were just chatting. So uh, you know, he's somebody who has um, certainly been comfortable in in media settings and has spoken well, kind of as a representative of the team, but also mm-hmm. somebody that I've talked. Legos and Marvel right. movies and right. air, airline snafus with. So he's somebody who, who stood out. Another offensive lineman, McCade Matoyer, um, I think, again, is a, a good representative of this team. Offensive linemen in our profession tend to be some of the most even-keeled mm-hmm. guys. And, and perhaps I say normal. I don't mean to assign anything other than normal to, to other players. But quarterbacks tend to approach you know, media obligations a certain way wide receivers, cornerbacks, you know, you, you get into to the groupings of how we um, think about different positions mm-hmm. on a football field. Offensive linemen tend to just kind of be the guys. Uh, and it's part of why they tend to, and these are usually good signs, and it's a good sign with the Sooners, they get along with their quarterbacks because they just tend to be a group of guys um, who, who understand the game at a certain level because mm-hmm. of, by virtue of their position. And fact is they you know, they were not the ones in high school catching all the touchdowns or uh, breaking the rushing records. They were blocking, doing the unglamorous stuff they do today. Uh, McCabe Matoyer, another an insightful guy, particularly after a loss. Uh, he was great in Stillwater um, after that loss uh, to OSU. And he's, he's just an insightful guy who he's not going to spill the beans on everything happening in the locker room. But um, we'll offer some insight yeah. and, and we'll take in your questions and, and understand where you're coming from. I want to ask or I want to talk about the quarterback for a second because you've been able to sort of peel the cover back on Dylan Gabriel a few times this year. The most recent being when you wrote a piece, a terrific story for those who haven't, you need to get to it and read it on selloutcrowd.com. Your piece about Dylan Gabriel growing up in Hawaii, idolizing Colt Brennan, who was uh, the quarterback who was among the uh, top 10 in passing yardage 
in NCAA history before uh, Gabriel passed him the other night against against West Virginia and drawing a parallel back to a, a moment earlier this year, right, where someone asked Dylan Gabriel about whether he had a concept of OU Texas and the importance mm-hmm. of that game growing up. And his response, I believe, was along the lines of, I was too busy sitting in Aloha Stadium in Honolulu <laughs> watching Brennan slinging around for, for Hawaii. Um, that was terrific. And it go, we, we just, ta- uh, you and I just recorded an episode of your show, The Letterman Jacket, where we were discussing Gabriel's football legacy, which we should do. That's a pretty big time, big program, an important program around here, especially. That's the most important position on, in that program. Comes with a lot of the spotlight, responsibility, whatever you want to call it. Nothing wrong with digging into what Dylan Gabriel has meant as a player to the Sooners these past two seasons. But I think there's also a story and, and room for a story about just how he's been in terms of comporting himself, in terms of presenting himself, in terms of how he's answered questions and how he's interacted. And you've been able to provide some real color to that this season. And I was, I was hopeful uh, that you tell listeners slash viewers um, whether you've enjoyed it as much as it's come out in, in some of the words you've used. Yeah, well, he does, you know, in, in keeping with that list of five, he he would be there on that list of the five guys uh, who might be in that running for media cooperation. Because one, when you're the quarterback, you know, other guys can get out of talking in given weeks and and don't talk to media every week. Some would really enjoy to. I, I think Walter Rouse, five days a week, if he could talk, he would. But Dylan Gabriel is the guy who has to talk mm-hmm. after good, after you know, in good and bad after losses and he's certainly um i say improved i think he's become more open in year two mm-hmm. um, and obviously things have gone better for the sooners he's probably as we've learned about him and a lot of other facets more comfortable in year two surely media and speaking about this team and being a leader on this team in front of cameras and microphones um has improved and he's really you know he's a guy that after losses he's going to tell you how he's feeling. I think the quote um, was after that Oklahoma state loss, you know, someone said, what's the feeling in that locker room? And he just looked and kind of deadpan and said, felt, felt shitty, which mm-hmm. no shit. Um, you know, after that game. So, you know, he, he wasn't going to right. placate and, and, no. you know, go on a two minute deal of, well, you know, you, you know, guys are down, but, and I'm sure, you know, that, uh, that was all there and what he had to say, but he was honest. And in good times, he's been really um, insightful this year and, and willing to, to talk about things. I'll say this, um, that Colt Brennan story was birthed out of a 24-minute session with Dylan Gabriel. That's a lot longer than he typically goes mm-hmm. um, or, or is allowed to go, you know, usually gets frisked away at some point. Yeah. Um, and he was just talking that night. I mean, the stuff he had to say about Colt Brennan was fascinating, but we were talking about surfing in Hawaii yeah. and... Yeah. Uh, and just the memories and things like that, when you've got him on the right subject and on things, you know, the, the deeper things in his background, he speaks so often about how he plays for something bigger than him. And that's Oklahoma. That's his hometown. That's his home in Hawaii, a place he has a lot of pride for. When you talk with him on those subjects, and that, that has been a lot of where I've written about him this year, I wrote about uh, the high school principal and his high school athletic trainer traveling yeah. thousands of miles to come see him play early this year. You ask him about that stuff and you get a side of Dylan Gabriel that you don't see under center or, or even sometimes in front of cameras, but he really does have um, this deeper side to him. He's very thoughtful um, and he has become one of those guys, again, that you really enjoy learning from um, in the work we do. 
Yep. After the game against West Virginia the other night, you and I were both on the field together, just kind of seeing what we saw. Uh, color pageantry, whatever, helps helps tell the story for those who weren't there. And I was struck by, I, I knew I was going to write about Gabriel and Jeff Levy. And so I kind of trailed Dylan for a few minutes before he got around to uh, giving, a, giving his offensive coordinator a big hug. And I was I was taken by how comfortable he seemed in so many different circles. And this this to me is really different about about that. It was different about that moment. Um, I've seen players sign autographs before. Right. I've seen players, you know, grab the baton and climb the ladder and lead the band in the fight song. Right. The, you know, this celebratory pose that's been struck a lot of places the last few years. Um, I've seen players obviously celebrate with teammates, coaches, even administrators, um, family members. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy move from group to group. And, and it was a case of all of the above in Gabriel's case, Saturday night, it was signing a towel for a kid on the, like kneel down on the turf to do it. One second, put his helmet on another kid's head. The next take, uh, countless selfies with pride of Oklahoma band members. The next, including putting on, <laughs> he's holding the clarinet. He was holding, he was airplane, the clarinet, I think at one point, putting on the hat instead, you know, he had the helmet off cause he had given it to the kids. So he, he put the hat on. Um, then he did get around a family, his girlfriend, I think at one point, Levy, obviously other teammates, uh, Joe Harris, the uh, president I, I was five feet away from when he bear hugged the, the school president. Again, I don't know if he's going to make, I know, well, I think we do know he, he's not going to measure up to Kyler Murray, to Jalen Hurts, to Caleb Williams, to Baker Mayfield, his predecessors at that position from a football standpoint. But Eli, even as friendly as Baker Mayfield was at in, in moments and his down and, and his sort of regular guy that he could be in others, you just wouldn't have gotten that kind of scene from those quarterbacks at OU after, after any win. Right, whether fifty nine twenty over West Virginia or you know close shave in Bedlam, mm -hmm. it doesn't. It, you just weren't going to get that. Hertz would go to the workout room for an hour after the game. That's where he. That's where he would go. Kyler wasn't much for talking to much of anybody. That just wasn't his way. Uh, this this was that. It was just refreshing, and it was in. And I like the fact that Gabriel stuck around long enough to sort of allow us. He didn't do it. I didn't do it on purpose, but. And us being down there, it, it it gave us a window into, you know what? He's he's sort of got college kid tendencies. He's sort of got regular guy tendencies, even though he just did something that had never been done as a quarterback at OU and account for eight touchdowns. I thought that was one of my favorite moments of covering this team this season. I think it's so easy to lose. This is a sports-wide issue, not just college sports, not just Oklahoma. It's so easy to forget that these are all generally normal mm -hmm. people. Um, but I can say I've covered quarterbacks in, in different places, covered uh, Drew Locke was the first big quarterback I covered at the University of Missouri. He was in himself for a guy who was prepping his senior year um, for the pros. And you could even see it in the way he spoke. And that year he elected to uh, speak at a podium every Monday, NFL quarterback style. But he was pretty normal. But I would say that Dylan Gabriel, from a standpoint of when you, you, you recognize that he is just a guy who plays football and not some greater something greater than that um you see that in moments like that he treats this like that that he's you know fortunate to have this opportunity and he's 
um, really aware, I think, of the responsibility he has. You mentioned um, both that interview regarding Colt Brennan and then that post-game setting where he's signing things for kids and handing out towels. This kind of sums it up. Dylan Gabriel explained that part of that for him is that when he was a kid, he was the one at, at University of Hawaii games who, if he got a, a wristband or a towel, mm-hmm. his next four weeks, he, that wasn't out of his sight. He'd be out in the street playing football with a wristband on, and it would be on his nightstand. And that's where he comes at it from. And that's where when you see him um, taking photos and, and signing things for kids, all that, that's rooted there. And, and gosh, if that's not just a normal thing, you know, someone who is shaped mm-hmm. by an experience at a young age who's now found himself at the stage he has, um, holding on to that stuff, that is the Dylan Gabriel Oklahoma has gotten. And I don't know that you're going to see that for many others in the future or, or have in the past. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure people are aware. Again, when we're talking about the brighter moments, uh, you, we with Rouse in the interview room, uh, everyone on the field with Gabriel after West Virginia wasn't so bright the two weeks previously when the Sooners were having to explain what went wrong at Kansas, what went wrong in Bedlam. And there's just as much room, I think, for us to recognize, and you you hinted at it a little bit in terms of Gabriel's response, especially after OSU, where he just cut right to it and explained, you know, what what the feeling was like in the locker room. But then the, to 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 go from game night at Boone Pickett Stadium to two days later meeting the same reporters, asking the same questions, and pivoting maybe from an emotional reaction that you got that night in Stillwater to an explanation, explanations for what went wrong. And I want to point out the work that Gabriel did there, but also that, that Drake Stoops did. A lot of us at Sellout have focused on Drake Stoops lately. There's a good reason for that. Uh, he's he's been, never been more important or productive to, the, to his Oklahoma offense. He's winding down the end of a college career that's been very interesting for a lot of reasons that have outgrown the fact that he's Bob's kid, right? I mean, we're, we're well past that, but it's still the layers to, to, to the story continue mm-hmm. to, to develop. I, I want to make sure people understand that it's not it's such a, I mean, it's the cliche is not as easy as it looks to catch a football when you're about to get drilled by the safety in the end zone and hang on to it and all that stuff. You know what else isn't easy? Explaining a three-point loss in Bedlam, where you were involved in a lot of turning point plays, uh, and a game that none of none of your fans thought you were going to lose going in, that every all of your fans were upset that you'd lost the week before to to Kansas, and for him to stand there and not just answer to it but detail it, I want to make sure we don't lose sight of that. How unusual, unusually mature that is, and responsible that is for someone who's still trying to figure out the way of the world. It's that time of year again, America. So let's light up the season during the Make the Holidays Bright sales event. Choose from a large inventory of Ford vehicles equipped with technology, space, and flexibility for any season. Get special offers on our adventure-ready SUVs or on our great selection of Ford trucks. And make the holidays bright with Ford. Now get 2.9% financing for 60 months, plus 500 low APR cash on Escape, Bronco, Sport, and Explorer. Visit your best in Oklahoma Ford dealer today. Indeed, and Drake Stoops has kind of been, along with, I'd say, Dylan Gabriel, Danny Stutzman, um, those would be guys you'd say were, are some of the emotional leaders on this team, but they've also been their public leaders, the guys who have spoken 
in the in the the, the, the bad moments that when when it's not so easy. It was really easy, I'm sure, for Dylan Gabriel to get to the podium or uh, for Danny Stutzman to speak after the West Virginia win. But as you say, that the flip side of that is is being willing to step in front of the microphones and the cameras after losses like that. And Drake Stoops qualifies as another guy who has really put the right foot forward. Not, um, you know, it's the easy thing to say always is, well, we're on to the next week. We're putting it behind us. You'll hear plenty of that, but um, an acknowledgement too of either what is lost some weeks, you know, after they effectively ended their college football hopes and after, you know, their big 12 title hopes took a big hit, you know, not acting as though that didn't happen. Um, But also, you know, acknowledging the issues, not always even from coaches do you hear acknowledgement of some of the things that Dylan Gabriel and Drake Stoops have acknowledged as just shortcomings, things that are very obvious to see yet so often in, in our work or in our mm. profession, you know, you'll, you'll ask a question, what feels obvious and you'll get an answer that suggests that the thing you've seen with your eyes um, didn't actually happen. Uh, but these guys have, have stepped up in those moments and, yeah. and, and led from that direction. So here's this would now lead us to the shoe dropping. You know, there's something to this besides how cool these these guys have been with us, <laughs> how detailed some of their explanations have been. Someone else I hope takes note of this at the end of the season, and that's Brent Venables. I thought I find it interesting. That's the kindest way I can put it. That when things turned uh, wrong uh, after KU and OSU that the guys who did a lot of the explaining for what went wrong were the players and not the, the staff members, and in particular, not the coordinators. Uh, the policy was changed Cincinnati week, I think. Or right Correct. After it was the first four weeks of the season. Just for context, uh, we spoke to Ted Roof and Jeff Lebby every Monday morning. Yeah. Uh, and then also post-game. After four weeks, those Monday mornings were binned explanations sort of being around you know productive use of time yeah um reasonable to suggest that spending your time with us is not a productive use of time uh but that was the the thinking and and so uh as you're kind of getting to after losses like the one in kansas and after uh oklahoma state you're talking about let's say six minutes um with someone like jeff levy to break down all of that stuff Mm -hmm. that's the night of the game what you'd like to have is sort of another, as as we've all had with players, another follow-up session whereby after you've had a chance to sort of cool off and review film and have, you know, your your coach meeting, position meeting, and you can you can diagnose if you choose to do, uh, choose to do so, you can diagnose what went wrong. And, and not so, it, again, this is a conduit situation. It's not, it's not, it helps our jobs to get explanations so that we know what's going on. There's no question about that. But in, so we present stories and columns, it also helps the public understand what's going on because without the, the stories behind the games, they're just the games and not the reasons for them one way or the other. And so I like to think that if for those who are tracking with us on, on, on the show, that there's some good being done them too with a dialogue uh, in, the, in, a, in a football program the size of Oklahoma and not just with a head coach. Anyway, Levy and Roof are no longer available to media on the Monday after. The policy continued to allow players to talk. And while we appreciate that, and I think we've gone to great, to great lengths to tell everyone how much we've appreciated 
especially the more uh, thoughtful and, and insightful members of the team, good for in good and bad times, it is to me interesting that we don't hear as much from the adults in the room, or at least the guys who are supposed to be the adults in the room, and certainly are the guys that are paid to be the adults in the room. I would like to think for as well as Brent Venables has handled media policy, and in general, he's been terrific. Player access hasn't been better in a long time. He's been good at press conferences. He hasn't ducked any questions. He's he's detailed with the answers. He, he makes for great copy. The one thing I wish he would he would reconsider at the end of the season is when things went wrong for this team, it was the, the kids, to use the word that coaches uh, attach to players, it was their kids who stood up and took the heat for it, not the coaches. I don't like that. And I hope that that, is, that doesn't happen again. I think, you know, it's pretty pretty simple was that that session where and it was a great session with dylan gabriel we were talking surfing promise you we weren't i don't know no one was biting arms off or fingers off um but that was two days as you mentioned after the oklahoma state loss and dylan gabriel spent 24 minutes answering questions some about uh home and surfing and foot and you know hawaii football but also about bedlam drake stoops went like 14 minutes that day and jeff levy in a in a run of games where the offense had just completely hit the mud um was not available for more than the five six minutes post game which um inherently is a short amount of time it's a time where whether i mean like right or wrong and i think often right you know a coach can say well i've got to look at the tape reasonable um but then there's no other opportunity to follow up and it is left to dylan gabriel uh the now compensated somewhat, you know, in an NIL era, um, and Drake Stoops, I'm sure, compensated somewhat in an NIL era, but not paid and not paid like Jeff Levy answering questions for a program, uh, as opposed to a coordinator who, uh, you know, I, I think if it's not in the job description, it's inherent to it, um, should be in front of his players, taking hits for his players, um, whether you know it's fair or not. And, and in that instance, you had, as we've hit. Dylan Gabriel and Drake Stoops were the faces out front and they handled that more than adequately, exceptionally. Uh, and yet the, the coach paid several million dollars was, was not out there. Yeah. And just again, before people start, the audience starts thinking, oh, here, we, here, this is the media again. Always, always thinking about, well, woe is me, right? I, they're making it their issue, not the programs. I want to, pivot once more so you know it's not just our issue okay again the more information i think that we get this is just me thinking the more information you guys out there get based on what we write or in the case of this show what we say but here's another way to look at it if brent venables who just said on his at his press conference 24 hours ago uh i think i've got guys on my staff who are going to be head coaches someday uh we all know that Jeff Levy's name has come up in connection to the Mississippi State job since they've made a move, since our friend Zach Selman decided to, uh, to make a move with Zach Arnett out, and we'll see who gets, who gets in. There's an idea that if coaches really feel they have head coaching material on their staffs, and if they have their assistants' interests in mind in terms of promotion and development, and one of the things that coaches have got to figure out along the way is whether they like it or not, I know a lot of them don't, but meet, you know, meet, there's got to be some media savvy 
there's got to be some media skill developed so that you can handle tough questions or you can handle, uh, you know, you, you just present you uh, better, therefore present the program better. You don't get that unless you have media opportunities. So if Venables would make Roof and Levy available more than just five or six minutes post game, he'd even re- if he'd even consider what Bob Stoops once did, which was make position coaches available every now and then over the course of a season. The gain isn't just the public's, Eli, in terms of getting information and explanation out. The gain becomes the coaches because they become, you know, they get polished, they get sharpened for when it's their turn to, to have to, to stand there at a podium and take questions or to have to do a, a radio show from the barbecue joint or to have to answer to things that happen in postgame uh, before leaving town and boarding the bus. There, this isn't just about us. It really is. And I promise. This a lot of times is about the public. And in this case, it circles back to this actually benefits the coaches. Indeed. And I I think to to a previous point as well, coverage inherently gets worse with less access. And that, you know, how much does that matter to Brent Venables and how much does that matter to winning football games? Probably not much. But uh, if you were a reader, a consumer, someone who wants to know about Oklahoma football, those things impact you and, and they impact things in terms of the way we can understand what is happening within a program. I, I think um, I can speak for the two of us and speak for many of our colleagues. We, we typically show up to work every day just seeking to understand things better. Mm-hmm. And when you lose opportunities to understand things better and to, to learn um, that eventually, you know, somewhere in the wash that comes out and. Um, and so if you are a fan of a, of a football program like Oklahoma's, um, you know, it may not matter to you. It may be, um, something you, you see pulled access and, and laugh or anything like that, but it, it tends to, uh, to put up more walls around a program than opening windows or doors. Um, and typically when those windows are open, that's when we get to tell stories like the ones I've written on Dylan Gabriel or the many you've written Garen on, on any number of people around this program and opportunities like that you know, can hinge on um, the opportunities that there, there, there are week to week. Real, uh, just to exit the narrative before we, we get to some fun stuff down the stretch. Do you, is there a suspicion that there's a, a really cool story to be told about what maybe, whether it's about one of the emerging players on this team, I'm thinking Kip Lewis mm. touched on this week with uh, in, in, in combination and correlation with Danny Stutzman, right? Uh, putting, putting some context into the, what looks like it's about to be a really helpful partnership at linebacker or Gavin Sawchuk coming off back-to-back hundred yard rushing games who might, might be in line for number three against a, a team that's really having trouble on, on stopping the run BYU this Saturday. Uh, or, or is there, is it less obvious? Is there a player or personality that, that you think might just emerge between now and, and uh, the time the Sooners go to their bowl game? Well, I think Caden Green has been one of the most fascinating guys this season because he stepped in seamlessly as a freshman, I mean, four-star, highly touted offensive line prospect, but wasn't going to be a day-one starter. Um, but spoke before he came to Oklahoma about wanting to come play for Bill Biedenboe. Like he's a Bill mm-hmm. Biedenboe guy, and Bill Biedenboe's at Oklahoma is is part of it. So he's known for years that you know offensive linemen come to Oklahoma and then they go to the NFL. And in year one, a guy who physically looks ready for everything he, he looks already i don't know about nfl ready but certainly sec ready in year one he stepped in and been really successful and i would be fascinated to to learn more about him to uncover more about him as a guy mm-hmm. i think 
could well be that next big Oklahoma offensive lineman to come out of here in a few years. He is one of the emerging talents that if, you know, whether it's uh, this offseason or at some point, maybe in the next few weeks, get a chance to dive into his background, talk to him. I'd, I'd love to learn more. You do like the O-line. I like the O-line, but I'll say this. I'll give one more shout-out. One more shout-out. This is a personal touch. Key Lawrence, safety. Uh OU safety. Uh, We were at Cincinnati. It was the first time he mentioned it in the tunnel postgame. He said, I like your hair. Which, (laughs) as you know, Garen, that's that's how you get me flattered. And he said, you ever seen Gatsby? And I said, yes. He said, you look like Gatsby. And anytime I see him now... Nice hair, Gatsby. And so uh, he, he also lands with, with, with some, you know, he knew how to ingratiate himself to me in that respect. Uh, that, that personal touch has shot him up my rankings in terms of uh, media cooperation. This is the stuff, I, again, this is the stuff I really love. I, I mean, just the moments, right? I mean, who was the guy um, back in the interview room Saturday night? God, it was almost Sunday morning by the time we got out of there. Uh, post-West Virginia. He finished his session with media. This was just darling. Everyone uses the word like too much. I, I do it. My kids do it. We, we all, that's, that's like the, the default word when we're trying to finish a, a mm-hmm. thought or it, like. It, we, it, and it gets, sometimes gets in the way if it becomes kind of a crutch. And uh, there was one of the players who was leaving, leaving his media session and saw Mike Houck, who is the uh, associate athletic director, our good friend, because he's the, he's the facilitator when it comes to this stuff. He's the media relations guy at OU. Um, also doing us a, a big service by his efforts this season, along with, with the Brent Venables, two coordinators with, accepted. Anyway, the player sees Hauk and says, check me. Did, did you see Mike? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say like as much, right? Did, uh, who, uh, I'm trying to think, was it, can I Walker? Was it, was it Gavin Sawchuck? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, again, I, since we can't identify who it was, I just, but I, I got the, I got the biggest smile on my face listening to Rouse tell your group about airplane travel because a lot most of the most of the guys in the room could hear could overhear Rouse tell tell the story, <laughs> and uh, to the point that Hauk actually had to remind Walter that was that Dylan Gabriel was talking the, and he said, "Oh, QB's on the hit the mic. I got to go." Yeah. So, so there was so there was that, but then there was also the guy in the back of the room who was really pleased that he cut down on. Use on defaulting to like during his answers, and was was genuinely happy that Hauk had noticed, and therefore, again, if this is all about communication, relationships, and and help, helping each other do our, either making each other feel more comfortable, in our case, helping us do our jobs better. That's 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 what that that's what even what that moment was about. So I I, I don't want to overlook behind the scenes over the course of a football season, especially a program as as uh, publicized as OU. Okay. Take a deep breath and get out of here with three exit questions. Uh, Eli, I hate to even bring this up because all it's going to do is, uh, we're, you know, you're going to knee jerk to the, the conspiracy theories that are working against the Sooners of the fan base has been programmed to think is going on. And of course, there's a lot of bull. What Gabriel said after OSU, uh, it's not, it's wrong. Can you think of an instance where it was right in, in the history of sports? Is there, is there a moment? Where a fan base had a, had the right to grab pitchforks and take to the streets over how they were being treated by officials. Is there well, just one? Um, <laughs> those watching can see Tottenham Hotspur FC on the on the, the left side, right side here. 
Anytime they've lost, I would say, you know, probably the fix has been in. Certainly the Champions League final in 2019, that was not a fix. That was just poor officiating. They had it ripped from their hands. But sticking with soccer, um, <laughs> as has been professed, I, I believe, here on Mind Games, if not on the jacket, um, I'm an admirer of Diego Maradona, one of my favorite athletes of all time. Uh, I just find him endlessly fascinating. Right. And, of course, his most infamous moment is the hand of God. Uh, where he scored a goal, most certainly with his hand, and even the most rudimentary of soccer followers knows what's the one thing you can't do in soccer, use your hand. So 1986 World Cup, Diego Maradona used his hand uh, to score a goal uh, known as the hand of God play. England fans in 1986 probably would have had a gripe, might still have a gripe all these years later. I would note, as an aside, that goal, he scored two in that game, the controversial one obscures perhaps the greatest goal of all time, yeah, right. which he scored uh, in that one. But the hand of God is yeah. what everyone remembers. So England fans probably still have a gripe all these years later. How about yourself? Where has the fix been in? I was I was going to circle back to actually the OU fan base, the one time they had a right to, to lose their, their minds and everything else. Uh, Oregon 2006, Alan Patrick recovered the onside kick. Clear to everyone, but the replay officials up in the booth who awarded the Ducks possession, which eventually won the Ducks the game, which Bob Stoops still can't get over, which many members of that staff can't get over. I haven't talked to Alan Patrick since he left OU. I don't know how he feels. Um, he he probably thinks about that a few times. And if you're up, if you're an Oklahoma fan who um, uses that as a benchmark for how the world has been stacked against us officiating wise since I'm not going to agree with anything since I'll grant you the benchmark. That was bad. It will always be bad. Um, got one more for you. Got one more. For you got you. one more, a bonus. Yeah. Well, I happen to be a graduate, not a fan, but a graduate of a university that once lost a game on a fifth down. <laughs> and that would, would seem to be one that is stuck yeah. in the craw of Missouri fans for years and probably pretty rightly. So, because that what that was one of those Colorado teams yeah. long before Dion that were you know nationally contending and all that. Yeah, they got a fifth down in Columbia, Missouri. You could, you could. The Tigers you, need all the help they can get. Have have always needed all the help they could get. And there was Colorado powerhouse coming in and getting an extra down in a football game. Yeah, there are judgment calls and then there are facts. Colorado ran five plays to get in the end zone that day in Columbia. Yeah. Same as Alan Patrick emerged from the pile after the onside kick in Eugene with possession of the football. So some things, some things are no get there's, you're, there's no getting around. Um, judgment calls being one thing backed, backed by uh, video evidence, backed by the counting of one to five in your case being the other. Um, the Sooners hurt BYU. Haven't talked that is much correct. About. I'll be in Provo. This You'll weekend. be in Provo. Um, I'll wish you well. I'm going to Houston to watch the Cowboys try to get back on track against the Cougars. That's for another show. Uh, we haven't talked about the matchup, maybe because it's a 20-what point spread? 23? 24, 24. 24. I think there's a lot to worry about here for OU, but we'll have to see. Um, I'm more interested in the fact this is OU's first ever trip to Provo. Is this your first trip? Correct. Yeah. First trip to Utah. Okay. You'll, it's a beautiful place. A lot of friendly and decent people I'm sure you'll encounter. It is different. BYU has uh, an honor code in place. It's a church run. It's a school run by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, which means that uh, policies are 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 uh, 
not of the ordinary and compared to you know a lot of public universities around the country. I was digging through the honor code a little bit earlier today, looking for a way to incorporate that into exit questions. Here's what I came up with. Eli, students at BYU under language in the honor code must refrain from the use of alcohol, tobacco, tea, coffee, vaping, and marijuana. Which of those things mm. would you have had the most difficulty managing had you gone to BYU? <laughs> um, well, had some really fun times in Columbia, Missouri uh, and elsewhere. But, you know, that, that there's certainly some things on there that I might have tripped over. But I'm sitting here. I've got my tea here. I've cut coffee out almost entirely. I drink a lot of tea and I have been drinking a lot of tea for a long time. That would be the one. Can't have a cup of tea. I I'm gonna. Can, am I gonna get in trouble if I bring my own tea bags this week? I'm preparing. I've. I've. You should. I've, my bag's already packed. I. I pulled. <laughs> I pull. I don't want. I don't want to have to bail you out of jail. The. The. What. You know. Tell our crowd's good for it. Yeah. <laughs> or we'll find out. Well, the two fellas. We're gonna find out what kind of money. Uh, they have. Or what kind of jailbreaking skills the two fellas, two fellas have. movers have. I went word for word to to present this to you. There is decaffeinated tea, correct? Yeah, but that, come on, I'm not. I mean, I I really do enjoy it, but I, I need something. So you'll, so you, you'd have trouble with the caffeinated version, is what you're telling me. Yeah, and I probably would have had trouble if I attended uh, the whole drinking part of it too. Probably would have been a problem in I, college. Yeah, yeah I, I went right to booze. I mean, there's just no way around. That would have been the one. No, I, that, I would have tripped over that one. Yeah. I think Jim McMahon had a lot of fun at BYU, despite the honor code. I would have been more Jim McMahon than a Jimmer Fredette. <laughs> That's a fact. My uh, 56-year-old Garen, by the way, would have trouble with several more on that list than 20-year-old undergrad Garen, mm. which probably tells me I'm, I'm, I've got like a rest of development or something, <laughs> or Benjamin buttoning my way through life in terms of maturity. All right, last thing. We're getting close to bowl season. We'll talk a lot more about that next month. We'll count down to wherever the Sooners are going and wherever they're playing. Eli, is there one bowl that you're already trying to speak into existence for Oklahoma because you haven't been there, you think it might be cool, or you think that the opponent might be a lot of fun to cover? Well, the two playoff sites, right, this year are the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Mm -hmm. Two great cities, two great locations. Two. I've been to New Orleans before, but not to the Sugar Bowl. I would have taken a trip to New Orleans, talk, speaking selfishly, or a trip to the Rose Bowl. Right. Granddaddy of them all, of course. Those are off the table for the Sooners now. Fiesta Bowl and the Camelback, where Garen, we, uh, the, the honor code did not hold up at the, uh, <laughs> at, the, at the Camelback a couple of years ago when we were there covering Oklahoma State. I can tell you that. Uh, so, I, look, if, from a selfish standpoint, if we were sent back to a resort in Arizona uh, for a week just after Christmas, I wouldn't be too disappointed. Okay. Matchup standpoint, it's the obvious one. It's the one I think we're equally excited yeah. about, but would be completely dreading is Oklahoma, USC, and the Alamo Bowl, mm -hmm. uh, which feels too perfect. It might be the thing that could actually blow up college football. I don't know. Part of me can't would would kill to cover that game. Part of me would rather be killed than cover that game, right? I mean, it, it, I think it would be great when you saw the matchup, and then you'd realize, whoa, how many stories are we going to have to turn around here? 
How much work? How much work? There'd on be a the month's worth of temperature turned up. Come on, it's the holiday season. We yeah. should have good vibes out there. That's that's there would not be good vibes out there. That's called treating an Alamo Bowl like it was a playoff semifinal. That's the expectation if OU ever ran up against Lincoln Riley. It wouldn't play Caleb that's Williams. Sure. He ain't going to the Alamo Bowl. He would never play in that. But there'd still be a head coach at USC. Oh, did he not play in an Alamo Bowl like two years ago? And he he did. He, he ain't playing in another this Alamo one. Bowl. No, that's for damn sure. No, no. I was surprised he played in the Cotton Bowl last year, honestly. So that is going to do it for another episode of Mind Games. We thank Eli Letterman, my friend and colleague at Sellout Crowd, for sitting in with me. We thank you for tuning in and, uh, and watching, listening, uh, whether on YouTube or catching it on whatever platform you catch your podcast. We appreciate it. We know you have options when it comes to your uh, media content every week. Anytime you make Sellout Crowd your choice, whether it's what we write or what we say, we do not take that for granted, and we never will. Catch me at garenemig.com, selloutcrowd.com. Catch Eli at elilettermancom elilettermancom right? Eli-Letterman.com. I knew there was something in there. Eli-Letterman.com, selloutcrowd.com. His show is called The Letterman Jacket. Catch that weekly. Catch Mind Games with me weekly. Enjoy the rest of your day and your week. We'll talk next week.